to, to move by intellect is better than moving just by the force of our, the call of our senses, the call of the wild, so to speak. But if we truly move by intellect, move progressively, we'll move, we'll be moved to know, to understand the limits of reasoning and the shortcomings of a reason-ruled life alone. We're reasonable animals, but we're more than that. We have a heart. What's really different between all species and the human species is, is the heart. I mean, every, every animal has a heart, that's true, but the human heart, that's another thing. It's our weakness, and it's our strength at the same time. Love is a weakness, so strong that nobody can break it. We are heart creatures, that's what the human is. Dr. Spock knows that. <laughs> we are heart creatures, we're weak. And bhakti is, all, is a heart yoga, it's a heart yoga, that's all it is, all about love. It's so natural that Arjuna is thinking, wow, why don't people get this, it's just so natural. But, uh, you know, common sense is pretty uncommon in, in the world. And, and we've loved, we've tried to love also. We've, we, we live loving, we give our, unless we give our heart, that's what we do. That's what our life's about, giving our heart, here, there, or somewhere. Perhaps giving it with caution, but giving it nonetheless, to some extent. If we give it under the, under the reins of intellect, cautiously, hmm, we won't, we, we won't be fully happy, but we do that because we've given it fully in places where it's disappointed us. For good reason, sometimes, and sometimes for bad reason. Sometimes we haven't reasoned so well. Maybe we were being called to give it further. But we, have, we held back because it didn't make sense to us. How could that be? Oh, there's so many things that could be beyond what we can think about, what we can reason about. So we are heart creatures. We are units of, of giving, so to speak. And bhakti is only about finding the, directing us such a way that we, where we can give and give completely. The perfect object, as I said earlier, the center, the enjoyer, end of the sacrificing and giving that is our part. And how, and bhakti is about how to give without any reservation. So, in order to do that, the mind has to be satisfied, has to be retired, the intellect has to be retired. Gyan shunya bhakti. It has to be gotten out of the way, so to speak. We use it to a point, like you're using it now. I don't know if I believe that, I don't know if I'll accept that. What is he saying? What's the logic of that? Am I going to let that go into my heart or not? So that's understandable, that's, that's good. But bhakti is about removing us of that burden, taking us to the homeland of the heart where we can be free, happy, move without uh, hesitation, without reservation, without trepidation. But this is our problem. We, we give our heart constantly and we're regularly disappointed. We may even give our heart in a spiritual context and be disappointed. That may be our fault, it's possible, or it may not be. Hmm? There are many representations of spirituality and some may be more profound, more deep, more comprehensive than others. But the point is that we, we have to try to give of ourselves and, and hone this, this kind of wisdom. It's kind of the secret of life. That's what Krishna is saying. It is guyatamam. It is a secret. Life moves by 
by giving, and that and the and the and the, and the full giving is a is a reward in itself that gives confidence. That's faith. It's an, it's an experience then. That experience that solidifies us in that uh, in that pursuit. Krishna says, "Pratyaksha vagamam dhanam." This is this is not a a bluff. What you what I say, you can validate here. You can have the experience. This he's talking about experiential spiritual life, not just religious dogma where you plug in and follow some rules and hope in the end you'll wake up in another place. That's different. He said, no, in the here and the now. This is mystical orientation to spiritual life. So faith, he says, I've talked about this knowledge, I've glorified this knowledge to get your attention, Arjun. But admittedly, he says, some people don't buy it. They don't. They, they can't believe it's what you're saying. Could, such a good thing could exist. Something like that. They have doubts, and so they. This is why they don't take it up. And now he'll go on from here to speak about the underlying, the metaphysical foundation, and a metaphysic that fosters love and lila, that puts lila, the movement. Of within transcendence, the party, so to speak, within transcendence, that it logically, if you will, arises out of. So this is interesting because we're talking about knowledge, we're talking about love, we're talking about retiring knowledge, love being the end of knowledge. But there's a lot of knowledge being put into talking about this (laughs) and thinking about this and coming to this conclusion, right? So Krishna is going to speak about his Yogam Ayashvaryam. Next, it's the next class. You'll have to come to that. But he's going to speak about how he, he, everything, everything is one with him. Everything is different from him at the same time. How one thing can be both one and different at once—that um, doesn't work logically. How it can be one and different at the same time? He says, "This is." This, he explains, "This is my nature." And he says, "Yogam yoga maishpuram." Just see. It's possible by my achinta shakti. And if this achinta beda bed is the metaphysic that underlies Gaudiya Vaishnavism, our tradition, which is focused on this um, post-liberated type of knowledge and, and the movement that it, be, that it that it's all about, lila, the, the, object, uh, the objective being to enter into the divine play of the Absolute, the, 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 the dynamism of the fullness of the absolutes dancing. So to be acquainted with this um, metaphysic for the for the people who are inclined like that, that's a kind of terse. Uh, it's, uh, it's useful. Arjuna is a thoughtful person, so he's going to explain it. And this is a kind of power. Then he's speaking about he's speaking, because the knowledge that underlies the reality of of love of the absolute. Is one that that says the absolute is consciousness, and it's consciousness loving itself. It's a it's a love. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a an interaction between the absolute and its power. Being exists is a kind of a tautology. Being exists, right? But nonetheless, we say it. Being exists by a kind of power that it has inherent within it. Fire has heat and light, and it exists because of heat and light. 
we can still talk about heat and light, and we can talk about fire. They're in one, and they're different, and they're interpenetrable. They're not only inseparable, they're interpenetrable. Heat and light and fire. The fire has heat and light, and it is heat and light, and it's not heat and light, and something like this. Just like we are a person, we have energy, thereby we do things. So the Absolute has is not alone, still, quiet only, moving, dancing even, by the force of its Shakti. The sh- we are talking here about, the knowledge we're talking about here is really, really the Shakti of Bhakti, that, as I said, sheds light on the light of Brahman, animates Brahman, makes it alive, makes it dance. This is Krishna, energized by Radha, by love. That love and the Bhagwan and the Absolute are, are one and different, like heat and light are one and different from fire. And how is all that, how is this possible? Achinta Shakti. He said, this is the nature of my inconceivable powers. It's not something you can't think about, can't talk about, can't reason about, but, but how it, how it is, that you can say, you can't say. That it is, but how it is, that is inconceivable but knowable, experienceable. And this is, the, this is the stream to enter into by which we can have that experience. So he's going to speak about a metaphysic, that, that, or, which is an orientation then to life, right? A metaphysic, a world view, a view of the world. What the world's like. Even the invisible part of it, right? This is particularly the, the field of metaphysics, perhaps. And it's coming back. Metaphysics is coming back, <laughs> by the way. So a metaphysic that uh, is the kind of, I want to say, canvas, uh, which is the math behind the music and art of Krishna Leela, the underlying philosophy, that uh, the knowledge that underlies it, that's at the feet of Krishna Leela, when Krishna is dancing with the Gopi, they're dancing on this Achinti Beta Beta. This knowledge, this metaphysical understanding, this is the dust there. It's not a big topic there in the Leela, but it will help us here to talk about it, to go there, something like that. So this is something about the chapter and the verses under discussion at this time. I don't want to speak too long without giving you a chance to ask some questions. So, are there any questions? Swami, it seems like there's a different rule book here for the... um the spiritual. We threw out the rule book here. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like the, um, the, those who are doubting, it's because they, they just don't have the rules. And therefore they're saying, well, it doesn't fit our rules. Our rules here in the, in the world, we've got our science, we have our, our logic, we have all these. But y- you're, Krishna, you're speaking about a rule, uh, uh, an existence that, that is full and rich, but is, is whole different rules. How is a person who's bound here begin to understand how the rules we've been playing by or we've been acting on and we've been living in don't apply to that that world? Well, I don't think it's... I think any thoughtful person could, can, could reach that conclusion to an extent and then have an openness to look and seek beyond the limitations of mind one's own or anybody else's intellect. Like I said, you know, we're talking about a, 
perfect knowledge, so there has to be a perfect means to attain it. And the perfect means is is the prayerfulness of, of this is perfect knowledge, folding your hands. Um, our intellect is an imperfect instrument. However well you can exercise it to come to a conclusion and establish a truth, someone else can exercise theirs to, to, to uh, defeat it. So I think a thoughtful person can come to this conclusion. And, um, and in the face of the unknown then, and unknowable with my given instruments, then the interesting thing is that in the face of the unknown, faith is fostered, actually, if you're going to proceed. You're either going to you know, do a Camus or you're going to you know, and hang yourself in the closet about the whole thing. That existentialism is real problematic. Uh, or, or you're going to go forward somehow and with faith, somehow faith, mysticism, the mystery of life that reason can never unlock it just can't unlock it. You, just, you try one key after another, you know. It looks like it opened, but then there's another lock inside of there. Also, it's hidden. Life's secret is a mystery. It's very well hidden. It's this, and this guiatimum, that's what he's talking about, this, this deep, deep secret. To unlock the mystery of that. Reason is not the key. This, this is not the currency to get the ticket to enter there. And when you come to that conclusion of the, of the futility of reason in terms of it's per, not that it has no use, you can use reason, sure. You can you can determine what a line is, for example, in terms of what it can do for us, practically. But what it is, is unto itself. You can't, by reason, by measuring, what's a line? What's a point? By reasoning, we can figure out what they are for me and how I'd like to use them to accomplish something. But what they are, and do things have an existence? independent of us and our needs, which, you know, if my needs go away, then that thing has no meaning anymore. So I think one can come to this conclusion, a thoughtful person, and he has. And what that does is creates kind of a teachable moment. It fosters a kind of an unknowing that if I am to proceed, as I said, which some people don't, I have to proceed with faith. So the mystery of life that reason cannot lock, unlock in of itself fosters faith. Proceeding with some kind of faith and, and as I say, you know, folding one's hands or be, looking beyond... Look, You tell me, in other words. I can't figure you out. Hmm? So you tell me what you are all about then. I'm ready to listen now. Something like that. This is what... What the logical kind of conclusion is, uh, in my estimation, of the exercise of reasoning, and then a transrational type of exercise takes. This is where the heart really starts to kick in. So the heart is kind of like, it's kind of like not part of the world, so to speak. It, it is us, but the heart is us, materially speaking, only in terms of what's in it. When we take that out, all those attachments and so forth. We're speaking of heart now, you know, really not like the organ, but like hmm, our capacity to give, our capacity to love, our capacity to sacrifice. And we see sacrifice brings growth, right? The self contracts by taking and it grows by giving, it expands by giving. And the more the heart, the self expands, if you will, the more it, it knows because it has experience, it goes there, it's identified with, 
in a larger way, in a greater sense. So, I think that that good reasoning leads to the understanding of the folly of of the way in which we are conditioned to try to f- find happiness in life. And, um, you know, on so many levels, there are examples of this, and, and people see this, thoughtful people see this. The futility of taking, and it's, you know, it's popular to give, actually. People like to volunteer for things these days, often, thoughtful people. It's, um, so, um, so, in a general sense, I think, your, your question is how do people are going in really opposite direction, and this is a very different way of thinking about things. So how, how will they turn in that direction? I think if they, if they think deeply enough, these are not, I mean, we're not talking about anything that's really, we're kind of talking about universal truths, pretty much, people accept them. We're just playing out the ramifications of them. So, of course, then the other answer to your question is, by good association, if something from that side the upper side or the inner side comes to the the outside or the lower side, however you want to talk about it. Something that has no up, no down, no inside, no out, but for the sake of talking about it, we have to invoke such terms, directions, and so forth. Anyway, if someone comes from that side, then by good company, by sadhu sangha, then then we will be propelled in that direction. And we, by good sangha, we will go further and we've been able to go thus far. We'll go. We can go the distance. Keep good company. This is it's contagious. For home going, home knowing person is is required. That's my experience. For home going, we need a home knowing man or woman. But we need somebody who has some acquaintance with that that land who stopped. You know, uh, I only think about it. I guess to talk about it. People need to think about it, otherwise it's a burden. How will I talk about it? It's like, you know, if you want to, to the extent I may know, that's for you to decide, but uh, who does know, you know, it's like trying to teach music to deaf people in this world. So, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, so your question is, you know, it's a good one in a sense. It's, it is difficult, uh, but good company is very powerful, so that will have a lasting impression upon us, that will... If we if we keep if someone's going the sun is going west so if you keep going west you'll always stay in the sun so if someone's going in that direction and going fast then try to stay in proximity keep in keep in sight anyway somehow in sight then you one day you will end up in the light also basking in the light what else another question yes thank you we're talking about Maharaj about heart that's more important but I see is how we are different humans because of the intelligence otherwise all other species they have heart too but they can't think about bhakti and all that kind of stuff and conceive of they can't conceive <coughs> concept of God and mm-hmm. all that so, so first how I think we are different because of we have higher intelligence. Then that feeds into the heart and that it makes more useful that organ or whatever it can give and expand and achieve a lot more. But first, we are differentiated by intelligence. Then they say that, the they say that uh, humans are rational animals, right? right? So we're distinguished from the animal species by intelligence. 
But we are also distinguished by heart. Animals have a heart to an extent, but let me tell you what I mean by that. And we are more so distinguished by heart than merely by intelligence. And I'll explain why. Let's say you go in the jungle, all right? And you bring something for the lions to eat, right? You offer them food. They'll all go and eat, right? If, uh, if they don't say you first, no, you first. Or they don't say, uh, excuse me, right? They don't say that. So what causes us to say, excuse me, or you first? That is the exercise of our heart, actually. That is giving. Do you understand? That is a giving. That is a sacrifice that you're making. No, you go first. Human life, we have the capacity to do something voluntarily. The animal species are not doing things voluntarily. They are under the rule, and very heavily, of, of, their, of, the, of the senses. They have no intellect, so to speak, or not to the extent that we do, to separate themselves from their senses wisely, right? And see the futility and the crudeness of simply following the call of the wild in my senses. We have that intelligence, and that distinguishes us. That's true. But we also have the capacity to do something voluntarily, to love, to give, and give to a stranger. This is what I mean by we have heart. And you don't have to be very intelligent to give and to give to a stranger. If you have a small heart, then you have to think about it a lot. Then you have to exercise your head in order to exercise your heart. But you can have a very big heart and a very small head. And, and people with a big head would do well and be wise to watch your example. So what I mean is that in, when, we, when we rise to human life, the opportunity that presents itself to us is the opportunity to give. We have a brain by which we can think about that and realize that's what life's about, giving. And then we can hone the skill, if you will, of giving to give comprehensively by finding the center, giving without any motive attached to it and so forth. We can reason well about loving. We can have well-reasoned love. That's true. But if we say that we are distinguished from animal society just by intelligence, it takes the heart out of our humanity. We have heart, and without intelligence, even very much intelligence, we still have opportunity to exercise our heart in a way that the less complex species of life do not have the opportunity to do. So human life really, what does it say in Gita? Gita says, Krishna says in the Gita, in the third chapter, says, I gave forth the world humanity and sacrifice together and said, be happy by sacrifice. He said, and I didn't give the humanity along with intelligence and said, be happy. He said, no. I and sacrifice, that's an act of the heart. It's not an act of intelligence. You can think about why you should sacrifice, but that only limits the extent to which you will because you've done so because you should, because it makes sense because it's the right thing to do. It's a calculated giving, even. But to give completely without thinking about it, this is what love is. So human life is particularly distinct, I believe, from all species of life because it gives us the chance to, to give. We're less under the burden, if you will, of matter. We're like on probation. They're still in jail. 
human lives, animal species are like still in jail. We're on probation. We're not out yet. But if we act properly, we can get out of this of our sentence and our cell. Hmm? And if we don't, well, you we can go back to jail too, right? You can be sent back. That's possible. Transmigration is a prominent theory in, in the Gita. So we're on probation. And yes, we should use our head to soften our heart. That's what we should do. We have a heart, but it's a little hard. But if you use your head, and you're saying that too to some extent, use your head to soften your heart. But when the heart is softened, then what's the need for head anymore? Hmm? Isn't it sometimes uh, it's difficult having too much head also? It prevents That's right. giving out. Exactly. It's kind of a little dangerous to have That's too right. much of a head. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> One point I'm making. So, another question? Yes. You talked about good association, Sangha, and being attached to the right thing, hmm. and how we can make advancement. As a conditioned soul that really doesn't know, how do you determine if you're being attached to the right person or right sadhu? Well, if it feels good, then do it. <laughs> I mean, but often it can't be that bad. <laughs> you're in good company in general. Hmm? So is that the test? If it feels good, do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's the test. What can you do? If it feels good, why not do it? If it feels good, it sounds good, it feels good, okay. Do it until it feels bad or it doesn't sound good anymore. But then you should ask about that. This didn't sound good. And then he or she can answer why maybe it is good. So, you, you know, we should, this is what we should do. We should come before our guru and doubt. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what Krishna says in the Gita, in the seventh chapter. He, more or less, he says in the beginning. Come and sit before the guru and doubt. And sometimes it's taught, sit before the guru and don't have any doubts or you'll be in real trouble. No, you're supposed to come, bring your doubts. He may say things that make you doubt. Then you're supposed to bring it up. I doubt that. And then he may explain something that you didn't know, show you something that you hadn't, maybe it was an opportunity to show you something that you had not seen. And if you can't answer your doubts, then then you won't have faith, so how can you proceed? Right? But if in good company he or she awakens faith in you, which feels good, right? Feel encouraged. If you if let's say you're in bhakti tradition, so in, so you want to have enthusiasm for hearing and chanting. So if the company enthuses you to hear and chant, then it must be good, right? Right? And to understand what it is to hear and chant. What it's about, what you're, what you're involved in, to understand it better. And the explanation is based on revelation. It's a furthering of the argument of revelation. In other words, it's supported by scripture and so forth. The scriptural kind of argument, if you will, discussion, we'll call it, scriptural discussion. He's involved, she's involved in that. And in an insightful way that brings it to, uh, the text to light in a way that you hadn't seen it before. And it challenges you. It also may, may make you feel uncomfortable. Therefore, you should do it. If it feels good, you should do it. It might make you feel uncomfortable, and you should do it. But in a good way, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel like, wow, I didn't know that. This is bigger than I thought. Whoa, I don't know if I'm ready, ready for that. I knew that and it's true, but that's making me feel uncomfortable. I have to commit at a higher level. Yes, and, and, and 
So also, Yaksadu should make us feel uncomfortable. He doesn't just come and pat us on the back and make us feel a little... It's challenges. He or she meant to challenge also our understanding so that we can grow. So, you know, what can you do? You, you give your heart, you come, you listen. There's a gathering, sadhusanga. So you go and you listen. And, and if, it, if, it, if it works for you, then, then follow it. Pursue it. Take advantage of it and grow. And if it stops for some reason, then ask for why. Question. It may be your fault. It may be. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, maybe it's the guide's fault. Possible. Every guide isn't perfect also. And that may be all right. Perfect enough to guide me. That's also possible. Moving fast enough, in, as I said, towards the West, and not looking back, maybe as good as being there as far as having good company. Because if someone's there anyway, they're not looking back. And they're not here to help us. <laughs> so, and there's also no stopping there. It's always going on. There'll always be someone more advanced. Teacher will always be a student also. Look one direction. She's a student. Look another direction. He's a teacher. So, your doubt is, your question is your doubt, that you say we should give a take advantage of good association, but how do we know association is good? Well, you tell me. Has it been good? This association, if so, then you know. You have to, <laughs> but this, this is a problem. We, 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 we doubt so much. Even Gaudi community is, 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 a, is an environment of doubting, practically, has been created. In the absence of migrant mushrooms, they've created a doubting environment. So it's very, this is very un, unconducive. So even we're, it, it sounds good, it feels good, still I doubt it. I don't know. I don't want to be cheated. That's good, but don't cheat yourself either. You have to be a little... Nothing risks, nothing gains. That's also there. You see, you know, you may, we may doubt, but Sadhu has an obligation to answer our, answer our questions by example and by precept and the precept involves continuing the discussion, the eternal discussion of revelation, its meaning, its implications, its ramifications. So if he or she, the guide, sets a good example that, that, is, that is, inspires us and then clears our doubts by continuing the discussion of revelation in a way that's relevant and affects me and makes sense to me and so forth, then if I have shraddha, then my doubt is cleared. Shraddha means faith. This is what is faith in. You, see, you have to know what you have faith, what bhakti is to have faith in it. So if you have faith in bhakti, then you have faith in revelation as a perfect means of knowing. Then you need an agent that represents revelation in a way that is dynamic and brings it to life and so forth. So if that's what you're involved in, then when the question gets answered, by citing the scripture and explaining the implications, that not just the law, but the meaning of it, the, the let, not the letter of it, but the spirit of it, and so forth, and from different, many different angles. And then you say, well, it sounds really good, and, and then uh, I like that, you know. And then tomorrow you wake up, I'm not sure. <laughs> you see, that becomes, you've got an emotional issue going on there. <laughs> it's not a rational, you know, issue. Uh, neither are you functioning in a spiritual way sense as a sadhaka what 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 it, you forgot what you're involved in what how the answers are supposed to come what type of answers you're supposed to get 
so forth. So there may be emotional reasons. And then maybe we gave ourselves, you know, to someone in the past in an ordinary sense. We gave ourselves to our parents, you know, and there's all kind of problems for that because they didn't give back. And so we hurt, and you know, we've got a lot of psychologically wounded people in the world. It's painful to see. I mean, it, it's really painful for a person like myself. It's very painful to see. And it's it, because it's, it's, it's painful to see their pain, and it's painful to know that you're inhibited from, to some extent often, by help, to help from helping them by that. It's a very uh, troublesome. Uh, it's just the age we live in. It's just very troublesome. Modernism is... Uh, given, uh, given birth to so many uh, psychological problems, you know, people don't the environment, industrialism. It's 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 all of it. it it's the the whole family unit is a whole different. You know, what is it? It's a whole different thing than it used to be. And uh, you don't have elders and community, and you don't know the person who lives on the other on the other door out there when you open yours, and you don't want to know them either. <laughs> It's a real problem. It's it's, it's difficult. Um, people are troubled by by these psychologically. So, anyway, that's my answer. Yes. Well, um, Jason, maybe you can help me. We were talking today, Jason and I were talking about the position of somebody who has a very soft heart. Has a what? Soft, soft heart. Soft heart. Soft heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's very giving and very loving. Uh-huh. And um, maybe not so much into bhakti, but within the world, he operates at the level that, or she operates at the level mm-hmm. with a um, pretty selfless attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, Joined the Peace Corps. <laughs> maybe more. Volunteered, than that. volunteered. Yeah, maybe, so. maybe more than that. Maybe even more than that. Who is very properly motivated? Who is? Uh, uh, Who cares about people? Altruistic, philanthropic. Yeah. What's the position of a person like that in connection to bhakti? Um, their position is, as mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, if they don't have faith in bhakti because they have not had a good association uh, of deeply realized devotees, so how do they can have it without that? That's where it comes from. Bhakti comes from bhakti. So unless you're in touch with the bhakti, you're not even going to get bhakti. But still, you may have a giving tendency. You may be altruistic and and very selfless and so forth. Uh, so the Gita says that if you don't have faith in bhakti, you don't then therefore you're not eligible to proceed along the path of bhakti. Then you should do altruistic work, philanthropic work. The Gita says you should start to give anyway. If you're not convinced. Krishna says, to give to me, that I'm the center. If you haven't found the center by way of faith that is fostered by association with those who have connection with the center, then give on the circumference, but give. Somehow give. Let the giving tendency come within you. And altruism, in a sense, is giving on the circumference because, you know, it's like watering the, the leaves of a tree rather than the root. If we're sitting in the room and we pass a hat around and we say, okay, we're going to feed the poor people of Hillsboro. So everybody gives a dollar, you know, it comes to to uh, to you and you say, I'm not giving. Everybody goes, oh, how mean are you? And you say, no, no, I'm going to, because I'm going to give my dollars to change the mayor of this town. It's his fault. 
I'm going to change the political system, and, and then we're going to have redistribution of the resources, and so many more people are going to be fed, and we go, wow, that's profound. Yeah, let's put a dollar in your hat. That will more comprehensively solve the problem. So then you pass the hat around again, and then you come to your husband. So you can give a dollar to change the political system of, where are we? Hillsborough? Carrie. Carrie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he says, no, I'm not going to give that. Oh, bad. So then he explains, no, the problem is not the political system. but The problem lies in the consciousness of people don't know what they are. They don't know that hunger is not a stomach problem at all. Because you can feed the stomach as many times as you want and hunger won't go away. It'll keep coming back. You'll never stop hunger. But if you, if you teach them that they're not the body, then you can stop hunger. If you teach them what they are spiritually, then, they, then you can really end hunger, end the hunger problem. And correspondingly, all the problems of material existence. So I'm going to give my money there. So then we all jump in his hat and say, yes, that's a great idea to do that. So all the giving is good. Krishna says in the Gita that the Absolute is found in acts of sacrifice. That's where it lives. Truth lies in acts of sacrifice. So somehow we have to sacrifice. And if the sacrificing tendency and the giving tendency comes within us, that will be good for us. And in due course, we'll be fortunate to find our way how to give systematically. You know, how to find the, to find the center, locate the center, and to give there. Locate the root of the tree and pour the water there by which all the branches and leaves, flowers and fruits will be, will be nourished. So that's kind of the difference between bhakti and, and, and altruism. And a bhakti should be a philanthrop- philanthropist and an altruist as well. One of my god brothers, uh, guru brothers, Guru Bhai, he said to my Guru Maharaj once in Calcutta, they were standing on, in a house on the veranda and there was some poor people down there, men had his, one, only one hand, and they were, they were children, begging. And he said, you know, Prabhupada, sometimes, sometimes I feel sorry for these people. They're suffering. And Prabhupada said, why only sometimes? Why only sometimes? So, and Prabhupada wasn't engaging himself in feeding poor people, but he cared about them, their plight. Well, in the course of making Make context of making a comprehensive solution, trying to bring about a co- comprehensive solution, and show real and deep compassion. The shadow of compassion that he had passed through was also part of him. You understand? He cared about people. He saw them. The, he, the yogi, Krishna says in the Gita, who's perfect is one who sees the suffering and happiness of others as if it were his own, by his own experience. If he's passed through that, if he's transcended that, it means he knows it. If he's transcended, he understands it. If he understands it, how can he not have feeling for that? While he focuses himself in the way that he can best bring about a solution, he's not hard-hearted towards people who are not actively involved in that solution and suffering as a result of their karmic course. He doesn't say, tough karma. That's their tough karma. They deserve that. He feels for them. 
So a devotee is also a philanthropist and an altruist. I was so. just wondering whether this kind of um, mentality that I was describing before mm-hmm. might not trigger bhakti, actually. Only bhakti okay. can give bhakti. Okay. If you, but, but if you become predisposed towards giving, then when you come in touch with a, with a systematic way of giving, which is what bhakti is, a yoga of giving. Yoga means a system, really. So a system of, of knowledge, then you'll be predisposed toward it. You'll be more inclined towards it. So that's why I say giving is good. Start giving somehow, and you'll grow by the giving. And then when you come in touch with bhakti, you'll take to it that much more readily. But bhakti can give herself to people who don't give. That's her prerogative also. She's independent. It's not because you're an altruist or a philanthropist, therefore bhakti will be obliged to come to you and give herself to you. She may not. Give herself to a taker. It's also possible. She's independent. Only bhakti can give bhakti. But still, if we should, we, Gita encourages us to start giving somehow. We'll develop a sangskar, a tendency for giving. That will be good for us. And we will grow. And those who are bearers of bhakti tend to go to the nice people who like to give. <laughs> That's where they kind of like to hang out. <laughs> they don't, you know, usually, sometimes for extremes, but usually they don't go to try to pick out the most meanest people and and discuss with them. So, in that way, by piety, by altruism, by developing a giving tendency, you may attract those who are givers of bhakti. It's good. You should do it. It should be encouraged. People should be encouraged to give, somehow or other. Because the, as they grow from giving, then they'll want to give more. Then they'll be open to how to, how to give more, how to give more comprehensively. Just like the people all in the room wanted to give to help the hungry people of Kerry. But as they learned each time going around, there were more comprehensive ways of helping, and they wanted to go to that also. That's the idea. What else? Swamiji, while you were speaking about the example of Prabhupada, you know, earlier I was thinking also, kind of in line with what we were talking about, is um, knowledge being an activity or, uh, or, or bhakti being active. Um, Vishnu John Maharaj one time asked uh, Prabhupada, he said, Prabhupada, are there any instruments that can measure spiritual advancement or one's advancement in bhakti? And Prabhupada said, yes, it's Madanga and Kartal. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. In other words, yes, if you have bhakti, you'll be chanting <laughs> for Krishna. If you have bhakti for Krishna, if you have love for someone, you'll be talking about them. And if you love someone, then you talk about them, you think about them. You see, if you want to control the mind, then Krishna's Yogeshwar, he's the supreme mystic, Dhananjaya, what is it, Sanjaya says in Gita, Yogeshwar, he was a mystic, Dhananjaya, he could see the Bhagavad Gita in his heart, the conversation between Krishna and Arjuna, even though he was at a distance, and he said, Krishna is Yogeshwar, what is his mystic ability, and so forth. So such a person, the master of mysticism, if we think about him, then our mind will become come controlled, our senses will be controlled. If you love him, then to fix the mind, that will not, not be difficult. If, 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 that's all. Radharani is trying to stop thinking about Krishna. She can't. That's yoga. And we're trying to think about Krishna. She's trying to stop thinking about Krishna. Because love is problematic also. <laughs> he goes away sometimes. Problem. And he does other things too. So she's trying to stop thinking about him, and she can't. That's yoga. That's bhakti, you see. 
Therefore, bhakti is powerful enough to invite adversity. Kunti says it, Kunti Devi. Oh, the Pandavas, they experienced so much trouble. In Bhagavad, she says, let those troubles that came our way, the Pandavas, come again, because in those times of difficulty, it fostered remembrance of Krishna. He found bhakti is a way of term- making the environment friendly. It turns the negative into positive, as love does. Love sees one, and love one sees another's faults as ornaments. If you love someone, their faults will become ornaments. Love has that power. To, it creates a favorable environment in and of itself. Yoga is about creating a favorable environment and go over there and sit there. Bhakti you can do anywhere. You, it will create the make a favorable environment. So, anyway, yes, if you love someone, then automatically you think about them. Mind will be controlled. So if the yogis are trying to think about Krishna, why don't they try loving him? That is a good idea. And, you know, it is some love to try to control your senses and not exploit and not take. But he says, oh, if you sing about me, that's, easy. that's better and it's easier too. I like to hear my name chanted because it will be good for you. Your name is only another name for me anyway, he says, if properly understood. You are me also. What about that? It's a metaphysic of Abeda Abed, so we are one with Krishna also. There is no other. We are a power of Krishna, Shakti of Krishna, and that way we are different in a sense, like heat and light are different from fire, but we are one too. So singing his name is, is to understand who you really are in a sense. It's act in your own interest. So. Could we, could we end with a little singing? You could, yeah. Or we could just go on and sing and talk again if you want to. No. But yeah, no, I, yeah, that's good. Very good idea. <laughs>